Hebrews chapter 6, let's pray, and then I want to preach a message that the Lord's put on my heart tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for Calvary. Thank you for the Lord Jesus sent from heaven. Father, wash me and cleanse me in thy precious blood. Have mercy upon thy servant tonight. Lord, purge me of all fleshliness and all foolishness. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. Hear me and help me. Hear us and help us. May the dross be purged out of our system tonight, Lord. May all pride and all rebellion, the strongholds, may strongholds be shaken. Father, anoint me with power and with glory. Thank you for every young man in the building. Touch their lives through, the, through our preaching, God. Thank you for every young preacher. Unctionize them with power. God, thank you for letting my ministry just come in contact with theirs. I thank you for the shepherds. Brother Chancey, Brother Norman, and all the other pastors that are here. Brother Dixon, as he's hosted this wonderful meeting every year. Thank you for these under-shepherds. God, give them special grace to make that special stand in these demonic hours. Holy Ghost, help us tonight. Lord, let preaching be easy one more time. More than that, let it be eternal. And Father, may very soon I not be the issue, but people be entertaining Christ, interviewing with Christ, sitting with Christ. And Lord, may they, they don't need to see me or hear from me. But oh, God, how we need to hear from the Lord Jesus. Holy Ghost, help us tonight. I love you and thank you for it. May the train of thought that runs through my soul originate from the heart of God, from the throne room tonight, Lord. Holy Ghost, may we treat the Bible right. May we treat the brethren right. May we treat the bride right. Thank you for all the servants of God that serve behind the scenes. Lord, bless some poor weary pilgrim that's about to lay down the journey. Help us, Father. And I'll thank you for it in Christ's name and all the Lord's people said. Hebrews chapter 6, let me read three verses, well, beginning in verse 17 actually, Hebrews six seventeen, wherein God <coughs> willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I want to bring your attention to verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. And not going to some shallow, shallow, I want to say camp meeting sermon, you know what I'm saying. Some shallow thought of man, but go into the scriptures and entertain this thought. The anchor holds. Can I get a witness in here? The anchor holds. They sing a song about that these days, don't they? The anchor holds. Well, I don't want to dip into the sentiments of man and bring a crocodile tear or two, but I want to go into this chapter and look at the fact that the anchor holds. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to go ahead and give you my three main thoughts. 
And then I can preach accordingly. <laughs> I'll go ahead and release myself right here at the beginning. Kind of like my brother back here released himself to praise God tonight. <laughs> I absolutely enjoyed every bit of it. And he could help himself some more. It wouldn't bother me. Anytime anybody's hollering to the heavens about the mercy of God enduring forever, I can chime in with that business. Glory to God. And uh, <clears throat> underline in verse 19, which hope we have is an anger of the soul, both sure. I'm going to use that word sure and say this. The anchor holds. Then underline that which says entereth into that within the veil. Underline the veil. And I want to say secondly tonight, the anchor's hid. Therein lies our struggle. But I want to come to verse 20 and underline the word forerunner, whether the forerunner is for us entered. And I want to say the anchor's home. <laughs> and we're soon to follow. The anchor. The anchor holds. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. I'd like to say tonight to the child of God who came by Calvary's cross, hollered for help, and was scooped up by a nail-scarred hand, anchored to a bloody basin that was poured out on the mercy seat, secured by the sealed, sworn, sacrificial covenant of God. I want to stop and say, the anchor holds. I may pop a few happy bubbles and while you're even watching. <laughs> Woo! The anchor holds. Tickles me that they come to Hebrews 6 to lose their salvation. <laughs> I wish they'd just finished the chapter. Yeah. All them old goofy trying to make salvation logical and rational and anybody ever tried to bring works into salvation? Anybody ever tried to persuade somebody else that somehow Jesus could haul you out of a messed up part of the horrible pit, snatch you like a brand out of the burning, dip you in Calvary's sin washing blood and make you heaven proof and hell bound and then try to tell you somehow you can mess up and lose it and had to start all over again somewhere else. They come to Hebrews 6 to try to show that to you. And they get over there in the first part of that chapter and get that thing all messed up. The problem is they don't know the difference between they and we. Those and they. And then let's look in verse 9. He said, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. Now, I'm not going to go to the first half of that chapter and preach it, but it just tickles me to no end that anybody in the world try to lose their salvation runs to Hebrews 6 to do it. I wish they'd just read the rest of the chapter where God is swearing things and he's sealing things and he's sacrificing things and he's securing things. Hallelujah. Ah, glory to God. The very chapter that says our anchor is both sure and steadfast. Isn't that a goofy chapter to try to lose your salvation in? I got news for you, honey. Once you're birthed in the family of God, God don't kick none of his youngins out. He kicks them around if they need it, but he don't kick them out. Glory to God. Hebrews 12 is a promised mercy. The chastening God chastens and chastises and scourges every son whom he received and every child that he loves, he chastens. Hebrews chapter 6, the anchor holds. It's attached to his cross. It's attached to his covenant. It's attached to his character. That's not my interest to prove those thoughts, but they are all right here. There is a great cross set up on Calvary's hill 2,000 years ago nearly and the Son of God was placed on that cross. In that cross, there was a great covenant made. In that covenant was based upon a great character. 
Look in chapter 6 and verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Half of you were at the camp meeting last week. Brother Terry Pace, our wind-sucking brother from Sand Mountain, Alabama. You need to show one of them to these Connecticut girls while they're here. A good old-fashioned wind-sucker. That's a fellow who you don't understand nothing he said, but you believe everything he meant. <laughs> and he just knowed it was right because the Holy Ghost was breathing all over it. My old pal Paul was a wind-sucking preacher. He couldn't give the announcements without anointing dripping off of it. He had a hack over work day. <laughs> it, uh, glad to have everybody here today uh, uh, in the house of God. Uh, Going to meet down here Saturday uh, and to clear some ground uh, uh, for the glory of God. Three people get right and two to get saved during the announcements. <laughs> I want all the ladies to bring a covered dish. Hallelujah for the glory of God. I've took a lap before when he's talking about, you know, a church supper or something. Yes, sir. And his song leader, every other word was amen, hallelujah. Take your songbook, amen, hallelujah. Go to page 193, amen, hallelujah. He preached on hell one time, old brother Larry. He said, you're going to hell, amen, hallelujah, glory to God. I got over to the seminary, got around some of them fancy britches, and they started telling me them old mountain preachers wearing overhauls and God calling them out of a cornfield. They said, that's a, that's a bunch of baloney. And they said, you know, you can't understand a word them boys said. And I finally got my fill of that, and I told that bunch, I've listened to you for two years. I understood everything you said and don't know a thing you meant. I said, I grew up with them mountain boys. I didn't hear nothing they said, but I knew everything they meant. And somehow they'd land you at the cross and, and they'd land you at the feet of Jesus. You'd be weeping over a Savior with, with a crown of thorns plunged down upon his head. Old brother Terry Pace got a, and, and a half of them didn't even know what was going on, brother Mike. You can't preach to this outfit in this hour. They have no inkling. Of God, you got to talk about American Idol, or you got to talk about the Super Bowl, or you got to talk about the internet before they'll wake up and look at you. Yeah. Old brother Pace, uh, he's running a little side uh, route, and, and and he ended up over in Genesis 15, and this is the reference in Hebrews 6 when God made promise to Abraham, he could swear by none greater. He swore, <laughs> yeah, he swore by himself. They was a covenant, and that's a contract by blood. That's why it's called covenant. That comes out of a Hebrew word that has to do with a cutting, a cutting. Hebrews 6 tells us that there is a covenant that took place at a cross, and it was based on his character. When God could swear by none other, no greater, he swear by himself. And I almost preached on the Trinity this week. I've been looking at verses where God, every bit of God, all of God, will jump into one verse. There ain't but half a dozen or so of them verses in the Bible where God, you turn your page and I'll show you one. Don't, if you don't, I, just, just 10 seconds. Chapter 9, verse 14. Hi, here's all of God jumping into one little verse. Chapter 9, verse 4. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, Offered himself without spot to God. Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Honey, you ever find real salvation, this great salvation? The writer of Hebrews talks about you'll move from death unto life. You'll move from death unto life. And it's one of them verses where all the Godhead jumped into one verse. How much more shall the blood? There's Christ who through the eternal spirit, there's the Holy Spirit, offered himself without spot to God. I mean, in one phrase, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Ghost moved into just one phrase of one verse to secure your ever-loving salvation. 
Oh, I got news for you. That's what happened here. Chapter 6, verse 13 points back. For, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear, and I'm about to pop a happy bubble. No greater, he swear by himself. Brother Pace had him a spell the other night, and two-thirds of them didn't even know what he was talking about. Genesis 15, I'm not going to go there, but one of the first great pictures of Calvary in the Old Testament a blessing. Well, in the Old Testament a blessing. God lays out pictures and object lessons, and, and you know, you'll learn more about the inner workings of the cross in the Old Testament than you ever will in the Gospels. You come to the Gospels and they'll go to one verse and say, there they crucified him. It'll just, but you've got to go back into God's storybook to get pictures of Calvary. Psalm 22 will give you ten times more of an exhaustive, in-depth look at what happened in that cross and at that cross. Then, brother, because in the New Testament, he just needs to tell you, there was a cross and the Son of God died on it in your place. Genesis 15 is one of the first great object lessons in the Bible. And it says there, it's one of the first pictures of Calvary. And Abram said this, Abram, before God blessed him and put a ham in the middle of his name. Glory to God. Abraham. You can live in American die skin if you want to. I'm looking for a barbecue joint. Hallelujah. Abram. He said something amazing in Genesis 15. The Lord come by and had spoken that covenant to him and sworn that covenant, of course. And the great thing about what God was doing with Abraham was basically he was, he was creating the people and a lineage through which he would send the Lord Jesus into the world. John 4, salvations of the Jews. Abram said he did an amazing thing in Genesis 15. The Lord come by and, and told him what he's going to do and give him that promised child. And Abraham said, Lord... How can I know of a surety? That's a good thing God didn't backhand him because I said so, you dingbat. I'm going to tell you something. I want every young Christian to listen. You watch out for some of these Pharisees that make God hard to approach and make Jesus mean and ugly. Jesus never was insulted by any questions. Now, there's another whole sermon right there, but I've just resisted the temptation to preach it. Abraham, he wanted to be sure. He said, how can I know? Well, wouldn't you be insulted if you were God? Well, I just told you, isn't that enough for you to know? But God ain't like me and you. He's above being insulted by little things and... He's interested in securing the comforts and consolations of his little children. Even though they're in fine shape, they still tremble and quiver at times. I'm finding out some things with these little babies I got, and I just can't get mad at Preston about nothing. <laughs> Need to whoop him half the time. I used to preach on how you ought to whoop children until I got one. I just, I just look. Don't have them when you're close to 40. You done run out of energy. And convictions. <laughs> now you know, yeah, yeah, that's my boy. <laughs> Jennifer, she'll get the spoon out and hit me with it. Spank that boy. She be, I said, oh, okay, all right. There was God's boy, Abram. He said, Lord, are you really going to do this? How can I know in the good King James Bible? That's why you can't mess around with these modern versions. They've sucked the very life out of the Word of God. said, so how can I know of a surety? He's looking for something binding and legal. I know of a surety. The Lord said, all right. If my spoken word wasn't enough, I'll give you my sworn word. And we'll swear on blood. And if you look in chapter 6, verse 18, that's those two immutable things. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. The two immutable things are this, His spoken word and His sworn word. Can I, t woo! Can I tell you something now, honey? You ought to kiss your Bible. 
It's the spoken word. But it's backed by blood. There's a covenant made on Calvary's cross. And, and his, if his spoken word wasn't enough for you, he, he went and made it a sworn word. And he made a covenant with Abram that day. And here's how it went. He said, Abram, you lay out the sacrifice. And again, I can't go to Genesis 15 and start another sermon. But you lay out the sacrifice. Did you see them Jews laying out that sacrifice? And, and, and Abram laid it out. And then here come that great horror of darkness and that deep sleep. We saw it in Adam. We see it in Abraham. And it happened at Calvary. God, after the blood sacrifice was laid out, God took Abram out of the picture. And the Bible said a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between those pieces. There's the Trinity again. When he could swear by none other, no greater, he swore by himself. The Old Testament had given us to show you that one covenant after another is broken by man. One dispensation after another proves the failure of man and the wickedness of man and the mercies of God. That's, I ain't got time to preach on dispensations, but every, every age of operation that God closes, it closes with man's failure and God's mercy. We're at the end of the church age and it's the fa- Jesus, his cross has been presented for 2,000 years and now the church is a small remnant and the world is blaspheming and spitting in the face of God. Even the 1,000 year reign of Christ is going to end with the failure of man. I studied Revelation last year and, and I'd often wondered why God would let Satan loose after that thousand years for a little season and he'll go out to deceive the nations and all them natural Gentile nations that was ushered into the church, ushered in to the millennial reign. And by the way, it's good to be in the church because the church age saints are going to be wearing them glorified bodies in that thousand year reign. Hallelujah. And there'll be no sin or sickness in our bodies. Glory to God. There'll be no blind, deaf, or dumb. Won't be no crippled, no cancer. And, and you won't fight the things you're sitting there fighting tonight. You won't fight the things in your health. You won't fight the things in your mind. You won't fight the things in your spirit. The devils of hell won't be around to touch you. I'm looking forward to getting on with God somewhere, ain't you? At the end of that thousand year reign, Satan will be loose for a little while. They'll go out to deceive the nations and, and, the, and Revelation tells us that most of the nations, just about everybody, is going to turn on God. And they're going to come and surround the camp of the saints. There'll just be some of them Jews in the church over there, kind of like, like it is right now. And I stood behind some of them good men of God and they said, how does this happen? God let that happen for two reasons. So when he puts Satan in hell, you'll know he deserves it. Just got out of hell after a thousand years and he's still going to act like the devil. And then all them sinners, when he puts them in hell, you'll know they deserve it. They just spent a thousand years with Christ and still turned on him. Proving the wicked heart of man is wicked indeed. How could men act like that? Because it's at the end of another dispensation. The last one. Oh, when them old preachers I studied behind said, just like people are gospel hardened at the end of this church age, they'll be glory hardened at the end of that thousand year reign. A thousand years of worshiping Christ. They're gospel hardened now, they'll be glory hardened then. I got news for you, they got there. And the Bible said a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between God had to put Abram out of it he couldn't bring man into this covenant this was a covenant for man so it couldn't involve man there's your trinity a smoking furnace our God is a consuming fire and then a burning lamp there's that oil on fire that's the Holy Spirit and then where was Christ well there he was he was that bloody sacrifice and this was just an Old Testament picture of when God brought salvation to mankind and swore 
over the matter. And on Calvary's cross, the lights went out and the darkness covered. And if you'd have had eyes to see, and if God had wanted you to see, here's what you'd have seen at Calvary. You'd have seen the eternal Godhead swearing by Himself, dying by Himself, swearing to Himself that He had set up this cross for whosoever will and had come on His terms and had entered into His condition. And Hebrews 6 is a wonderful and glorious study of Calvary. There was a cross where a covenant was made and that covenant was based on His character and His blood. And because of that, and I'm avoiding the temptation to exposit these verses, you'd be here till midnight. Not because I know so much, just because it says so much. Amen. He come down and said, everybody who's ever fled for a refuge to lay hold upon that hope. What was that hope? That was a bloody cross that was hanging out there. And everybody who's ever fled there to lay hold upon that refuge can have a strong consolation. What verse is that in? A strong consolation. Help me, Jeremy. Verse 18. A strong consolation. We got a strong consolation. Somebody said, y'all feel things pretty strong the way you worship. Oh yeah, this is a strong business we got into. We've got a strong consolation. And the children of God, everybody ever come by Calvary, got anchored to the cross. And we got one thing to tell you. It's sure and it's steadfast. And this anchor holds. Yeah, hallelujah. It'll hold through every storm. Yeah. It'll hold through all of your sinning even after you're saved. The sins you commit after you're saved. You done come into a covenant that covered future sins. As well as past sins. God God don't look at past sins and future sins. I don't know why you worried about them. Calvary was an eternal moment. There was no past, present, or future at Calvary. He gathered up your sins. He took them out time and he took them over into eternity and he dealt with them in eternity God ain't worried about you messing up tomorrow he done been to your tomorrow he created your tomorrow he's already lived in your tomorrow time has already passed in the eternity of God and Calvary was an eternal moment that forerunner walked down through he's done been to your funeral Jesus done been to your funeral. He done been, he was at your conception. The day he stepped out of time and to eternity and sent his son to load up the, the sins of the world on his back and haul them off into a land not inhabited. He visited you. And he come down there where you was conceived in the womb and he saw you there. And he took some divine footsteps through your lifetime and he went on down to your funeral and he got there. He just backloaded all the corruption and all the iniquity and every thought and attitude and anything in your life that would have ever got you in trouble with a thrice holy God. He scooped it up. And he left your funeral and went to his. And he took your sins to his death. And he died for you and he died as you. And you're worried about my past. And then some of you going to make mistakes and slip and stumble and fall. And even commit sins and transgressions off in your future somewhere. And you're worried about future mess ups and you're worried about past mess ups. And God don't look at none of it as past or future. He entered into time and took all of our sin and carried it to an eternal place. That forerunner done, done run ahead of you. <laughs> Woo! And so anybody that's ever come by that bloody cross and fell down at the foot of a resurrected Savior. 
And the little heart sighed for help and he heard it before you ever said anything. Don't think your prayers ever did anything. His prayers is what's doing something. Don't think your performance is doing anything. It's his performance. And, uh, and when he heard that heart hit that contrition gear, softened just enough where repentance and faith could hold hands inside your soul and somehow, somewhere look towards him, not even knowing where he was. And when your heart said, help, <laughs> I don't care how you phrased it out of your lips, when your heart, for with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Right. And when that heart got soft enough and sighed towards him, he connected you to an anchor. And it's sure, and it's steadfast. Yeah. Because it ain't anchored to nothing in us. It's anchored to his cross. Where he made a covenant. And he based it on his character. And I'm just trying to say some of all that just to get you to understand that our anchor holds. (laughs) If that window wasn't so skinny, I'd jump through it. Jared, that's a jump for me, son. Many of us can make it through that window. (laughs) The anchor holds! And the children of God are marked in this journey by people who have a strange peace (laughs) and a strange sound. And that little Christian band, if you ever see them on that little ship of Zion, come sailing by where you're at, you'll hear them singing sweet songs. And they're shot up and bloodied and limping around, but they're hollering hallelujah over there on that little ship of Zion. Because this anchor holds. It's held God's children all down through the ages. Anybody ever got attached to his covenant? There'd been some of God's people go through some dark valleys. Crown College up in Knoxville, Tennessee, one of our Bible colleges. Crown College. Has that been three years ago now? They had a van, maxi van full of Christian kids, college age boys and girls that want to be preachers and missionaries and missionary wives. Got hit by that 18-wheeler and that van full of full of young servants of God was smashed on the highway, burned to a crisp, burned the pavement. I knew that ensemble. I'd got to preach to them twice in their little school journeys during the summer. They'd travel, you know, and try to recruit students, and I've got to be with. That particular ensemble, one time in Newport, Tennessee, and I had lunch with them and preached to them. And then a second time in Cleveland, Tennessee. And I never will forget that on that particular ensemble was on the front row. And I preached the morning service. First John five. Can I get a witness? It is the spirit that beareth witness. Amen. Amen, brother. And them youngins is a weeping and them college kids falling off in that altar while I was preaching. <laughs> and I don't know, you know, what happened in their hearts, but I sure like to think I had a little part of helping them shore them up on their journey. And when that eighteen wheeler hit that max event, they said that it that it smashed on the highway an explosion. They said that they had to use dental records. And I'm not trying, I'm just trying to tell you, it burned everything to ashes. An area as big as this building nearly burned. It burned the the asphalt for the pavement. One of the state troopers called Clarence Sexton of the church in the Bible college. And he said, Dr. Sexton, he said, I was at the wreck yesterday. He said, I got something here for you. He said, I know you need to know this in your church 
This trooper said, I'm a saved man, I'm a Christian man. And I was there to see the remains of all them Christian kids. I was just serving God. He said the area was burned to the ground. He said, only one thing. He said, I'm going to bring it to you. I know your church needs to see this. He said, we got a CD cover here made out of paper. He said, it was like the middle hub of a wheel. It was right in the middle of the road where everything else burned. He said, one CD. And he said, they were toting that CD around that summer. And here's what that CD cover said. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And that was their singing project they were singing across the country that summer. And he said, we don't know how the metal burned and the bodies burned and the pavement itself burned, but a little plastic paper CD cover was sitting right in the middle of it all, shining like, shining like a beacon of light. Said, and we all gathered around, looked at it, and said, I confiscated it and put it in the bag. We know that all things work together for good. Amen. Just a little reminder that the anchor's holding. And your world may crash and burn, but you'd better believe this, right in the middle of it somewhere. It's a providential, all-wise, wonderful workings of a holy God who is on your side. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Saints have buried babies and they've climbed up on martyrs' crosses and they've spent 50 years in a communist prison, honey. But there is a peace that the Lord gives and a peace that the world cannot take away. And the anchor holds. That anchor holds. Then the problem is, he said it's behind the veil. Here's where our struggle comes. The anchor's hid. We're living by faith in the church age, ain't we? We can't see anything behind that veil. But there's coming a day. We see it through a glass darkly, but there's coming a day. Yeah. Solomon said he shows himself behind the lattice where you just catch glimpses of a shadow. And just a little, as his person passes by, you can catch just, I think I've seen a flicker of movement behind the veil. Amen. He's behind the lattice where that anchor's hid. And therein lies our great struggle. We got a real problem with what we can see. And, we, and, we, and me and you both, we have a real problem connecting with what we can't see. But one thing you got to understand, honey, in the reality of the kingdom of God, everything you can see ain't going to be here in a little while. Amen. And stuff you can't see is what's going to be on the scene here in just a little while. And things that are will no longer be here in a little while. <laughs> and things which are not, he's already calling for them. And they'll be here in just a little while. And you got to believe in things that ain't and you've got to not believe in things that are. And therein lies our struggle. Yeah, that's right. To live by faith. And we got to live by faith. Amen. The anchors hid. It's behind the veil. The mind of God and the will of God. He don't make those things known to us. If he showed anybody here the mind of God and the will of God, they'd be like God. And then you'd act real stupid with it. I would too. We don't need to know the mind of God, the will. God's doing a pretty good job being God. You ever hear these goofy Baptist preachers try to tell you about the will of God? Seven ways to find the will of God. Three ways to get in the will of God. Oh, you won't figure it out till you're dead. <laughs> You don't need to. Your will's a problem. Work on that. God will will whatever he wants to. And it'll happen and it'll work. 
You just need to work on your will. I never hardly heard none of that bunch preaching on the will of man. We'll deal with the real problem today. Finding the will of man and choking it. You just be today where you're supposed to be today. Do today what you're supposed to do today. Leave his will up to him. <laughs> he's going to keep it anyway. He's going, to, he's going to do his will anyhow. His mind, let him know his own mind. You work on your mind and just get your mind as right as you can. God will help you. He'll show you his will and his mind. You won't know it until after you've done it. Hey, I was in the will of God. That's about the only time that you you won't know it till after it's done. You you walk in obedience and faith. And that anchor's hid. They tell me I'm not a big history buff. I study a little bit. They said Napoleon was about to conquer all, and the British sent their best general out to meet Napoleon. They sent Wellington. And here come General Wellington. And he met Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo. And they said back in England, they were waiting on the news to see how the battle went. There weren't no cell phones, satellites. They said the way that they got their news was right there in that English Channel. They were waiting on a ship to come into sight. And he would blink his lights, and it was kind of a Morse code. He had a he could communicate. I bet these Navy boys around here could tell me about some of that. And they said the day finally came. News took a long time back then. And it'd probably serve all of us well to quit watching CNN and Fox News Channel and ABC and reading three newspapers a day. It's the same old depressing junk day after day. And it ain't even really what's happening. It's what they want you to think what's happening. Deliver your mind from a lot of things, that being one of them. Add another sermon. They said, finally, a ship come into sight, and it was the messenger ship. And them boys up in the watchtower got their looking glasses and their ink pens. And the message began to be signaled, spelled out W-E-L-L, and they spelled out Wellington. And then the second word started coming in, D-E-F-E, and it spelled out the word defeated, Wellington, defeated. And then that infamous English fog rolled in through that channel all of a sudden. Thick as pea soup. And it's green and murky, and that's all they had. An Englishman must have been Baptist because one of them looked over another shoulder and said, Wellington defeated. And whispered it to somebody. Wellington defeated. And in no time at all, the grapevine. And all of England was in a dark depression. They said, Wellington. But back at the watchtower. Do you ever enjoy your own preaching? I think. <laughs> if I had a pen, I'd sign my own Bible. Thank you. <laughs> but back at the watchtower, the fog cleared up and they saw the lights were still blinking. And it was spelling a third word N A P. O-L. And they wrote, Wellington defeated Napoleon. Yeah. <laughs> and they came back with the right message. And all of England cheered. There was a lonely group of disciples that watched their Savior crawl up on Calvary's cross. And he hollered out, I thirst. It is finished. And he died. And a heavy fog moved in. And they said Jesus defeated. 
And everybody gave up except some little old stubborn Hebrew women. They didn't even believe he was alive. They just too stubborn to quit serving him. Are you going to serve Jesus when he went and died on you? Do you have enough about you just to stay with him when he ain't even there? Them old gals wouldn't quit. He was dead. They didn't have any reason in this world, but they weren't going to forsake him though he was gone. Some of you feel like Jesus is gone and he's died in your life. I wish God gave you enough grace just to keep hanging around the tomb. That fog will clear here in a little while and you'll see the lights from another world are still blinking. After three days and three nights, that fog cleared out and it wasn't Jesus defeated. But he came up out of there and said, All power is given unto me. And they said, Jesus defeated Satan. Amen. I'm not trying to be emotional or sensational because it is a rude reality that you and I live in fog a lot of the time. And the last thing we saw, we defeated. <laughs> and we're living with bad news. Amen. <laughs> If you hang around, that fog will clear up here in a little while and you'll see heaven ain't died and Jesus ain't died and lights are still blinking. In yeah. another shore, they're still sending signals to yeah. us. Yeah. I don't remember the story clearly, but I studied it sometime last year, an old boy. In the early days of exploring, he's trying to make it to the ocean. And he had nearly dead of starvation and dehydration. And he said he laid down to die, didn't have enough strength to go any further. He's crawling through, and he got in some sandy soil, and it was a heavy fog, and he couldn't go any further. And they said, and he's laying there, and said a little while the wind blew, and that fog cleared, and he looked up, and there was the water right there. And some of you are like that tonight. You're laying down in your fog. He's put some things behind the veil. It ain't going to make no sense to us until we get behind that veil with him but the just shall live by faith. I don't care if the anchor's hid. The anchor still holds. Don't give up on God. He ain't going to give up on you. And He ain't dead and He ain't done. He never picked up a young'un in this journey and decided to abandon it. And I don't care what's come your way. Death, divorce, disaster, debt, disappointment. I don't care what's come your way. You may be living in a heavy fog and the last word you heard was a bad word. When you're anchored to Him, this anchor holds. Whether the forerunner is for us entered. Jesus. He's done went home. And he's going to bring us with him. Amen. The anchors hid. The anchor holds. I got good news for you. The anchor's home. And we're all tethered on the same rope and we're being hauled in. I heard old preacher saying, I'm fixing to let you go. I heard old preacher say the other day, he said, the last time I checked my body, it was just following my head. <laughs> he said last time I checked with my head wherever my head went my body went with it and I got news for you Christ is our head and we are his body and we'll be with him here in a little while most of the body's already over there that gospel train's been pulling in for 2,000 years and we're the caboose I want to stand on the back and just stick my tongue out at the devil don't you <laughs> I have other thoughts too, but <laughs> y'all leave me alone, please. Half of you are carnal, you know you are. Stick my tongue out at the devil. We're at the last bit of this outfit, the remnant that's returning home. 
the anchor's home. Our forerunner has entered for us and he's made the way through his blood. He's made the way. He's passed into the heavens already and we're fixing to follow him. I'm looking forward to the rapture, ain't you? Amen. Catching up, that calling out, that getting up, getting out of here today. I'm ready for the Lord to take the church home. We're going home. Half of you's in love with Egypt. You ain't excited about Jesus coming back. You excited about Daytona coming back or some other goofy thing. That anchor's home. I preached last year with a veteran missionary. He buried his wife. Jeff Alverson been a BIMI missionary to the military for 30 years. He buried his wife. A lot of people up in Tennessee know him and love him. And two weeks after he buried his wife, he preached for the first time. Been married to her all them years. 40 years, something like that. Me and him were scheduled to preach together at a big old preacher's meeting up in the tri-state area. And all them old preachers gathered around and everybody was loving them. This was his first message. And he stood up and preached on Derby, shouting on the hills of glory. And he preached out of Revelation 19. And he wept the whole time. He said, my house has got as large as the Sahara Desert. She left. He held up a little yellow, one of them little yellow stick-it notes. He said, when I used to go on a journey, he said, to go to preach, go on a mission trip, he said, my sweetheart, my bride, who's now gone to heaven, said she'd leave little notes for me. They'd be in my socks. They'd be in my shaving kit. He said, I'd find them my whole journey. I'd be finding little notes. He said, two days after I buried her, he said, I was sitting in that house about to die of sorrow and a broken heart. He said, I went to the little back room where her and I would pray together. I'm glad we got a strong consolation, ain't you? Yeah. He said, I went back here in that little room and I got the little Bible where she and I would read our Bible and have prayer. He said, I picked up that little Bible and I said, Lord, well, Brother Jeff said, you've got to help me. Or I ain't going to live through this day. And he said, he said, I'm not lying to you, brother. And he said, I opened that Bible in a little yellow note out. He said, I don't have any idea when it got there, how long it had been there, he said, but it fell out. He said, I picked it up and it had two words on it. Hurry home. <laughs> It'll be worth it all. My old mom and daddy, two of the most godly people ever walked on the planet, just carried a cross. Never was nobody but a servant. They'd sang that. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. I don't know the words. You know the words? Jesse, you know the words? Life's trials will seem so small when we see him. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see We're heading home. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. It's the last night. I'm just, I really ain't never tried to quit. I ain't going to lie to you. I never have. I'll not be a preacher to get to heaven and apologize to God for all them little old short sermons for all them carnal Americans. I never, I never wrestled with that one. 
Well, at my church, we had, we had lunch, no offense. We went to lunch with the Black Pentecostal Church. What are you talking about? The Methodists were at the state house at 1201. Southern Baptists were there at 1205. Independent Baptists were there at 1220. They had to baptize two bus kids. <laughs> Old-fashioned Baptists showed up around 2, <laughs> one thirty with the Black Pentecostal That's Church. Right. That's right. I didn't know any liberals. I knew the only preachers I knew was the black preachers in my town. <laughs> had lunch with them every Sunday at the state house. J. Harold Smith, one of the greatest old preachers that God gave America in the last few years. I had no idea, but I was preaching in Newport, Tennessee. I was preaching revival there the week that he died there. And it's one of the... Uh, one of the worst experiences I had in this evangelist. That's the one where the pastor told me I could sleep out there in the trash shed. He said, uh, he's going to, I was trying to look out for my wife. He's going to put us in an unfinished basement with a strange man to share the same bathroom and nearly the same bedroom. And I said, pastor, I can't put my wife He's, and, and he wasn't joking. He said, I'll tell you what we can do. He said, that ain't good enough for you. He said, we can uh, go out here and clear the trash out of this shed. He said, there's an old yellow foam thing up in the attic. He said, I'll put that out there in that shed. And, that, and he wasn't joking. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do, sir. I'll drive back and forth to this meeting. Five hours, one way. And I drove back and forth. Somebody said, well, I wasn't a witness priest. Well, I wasn't preaching for that pastor that week. Amen. I was preaching for my Savior. Amen. And he gave, and he gave me a love offering with no love in it, <laughs> and no offering in it either. And he gave me that, and he said, "And I want you to know," he said, "You've offended the head deacon and the treasurer, and my wife." And he said, "This is you just take this and go on." And now. I, my daddy was an old-fashioned fella, and he believed in whooping people and then, you know, counseling with them later. He never read James Dobson or No Sweet Preachers. He believed in whooping somebody and then, like, next month praying about maybe going back and seeing if they're all right. That, that's the way I was raised. And I, only, I, can only remember, I can only remember two times in my ministry where I almost hit somebody, and I'm glad I didn't. I'm serious. I'm glad I didn't. And I'm ashamed to tell you, but it was an impulse. <laughs> and I've, I've like had to hold myself. <laughs> and I said, uh, well, that's another story. I told him a few things <laughs> about a lot of things, and it was fun. <laughs> and, uh, and I left. And, you know, I often wondered, and my truck broke down that week, and, I mean, we went in the hole and everything. And I wonder, I'd always wonder, Lord, why would you have me there that week? I wondered it and wondered it. And some of you wonder why God's got me here, this place in my life. And I found out by two or three preachers that they said J. Harold Smith was died that week in that town. He was two miles from you. While you was preaching, he was dying right over in that town. And a lot of things made sense to me then. I thought about Elisha and Elijah and I thought about a lot of things, but I don't know. But they said when J. Harold Smith buried his wife, she died. They had married something like 60 years. He buried his wife of all those years, then a little while later he died. He told a pastor friend of mine from South Carolina this story, and the pastor told me. Not no made up story. Pastor told me the next day, said, I, I took J. Harold Smith out for supper last night. Listen to what he told me. He said, uh, I met my, J. Harold Smith, old white-haired man of God. He said, I met my wife in that one-room schoolhouse up on the side of that hill. He said, we was 10 years old and in love. <laughs> he said, I married her just a little while later. <laughs> yeah, mountain people, that you know. 
<laughs> they had to grow up fast. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> he said, I got, Jay Harrelson said, I got in trouble one day at school, and I had to stay behind and write on the chalkboard. He said that we used to walk home together. He said, I'd walk her home, then I'd go on to my home. He said when she got out to leave, he said she, she took a little love note. He said while she was walking out and I had to stay there, he said she dropped it on my desk. He said I opened up that little note and it said, Dear Jay Harold, I will walk real slow on the way home so you can catch up with me. He said after being married over 60 years to that precious old saint of God, he said, she's laying up there in her hospital bed, dying, getting ready to go to heaven. She couldn't talk. And he said, she hadn't talked for several days. He said, she called for a piece of paper, a pen. Then right before she died, she scribbled a little note out and put it in his hand. And he said, he opened up that little note and it said, Dear J. Harold, I will walk real slow on the way home so you can catch up with me. It'll be worth it all. Put your hand to the plow and don't give up. Don't care what kind of fog you're living in, don't quit. This anchor holds. And when we get home, He's made the way, and when we He is the way. And when we get there, it'll be worth it all. Did you say you know that song, Jesse? Y'all know it? You and Danny worked something out. Going up there, Danny. He knows it. 